Well, welcome into another edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors this week in hockey. A happy Thursday night, everyone. Alex Ferrario along with Joe Vitale as we are in the final stretch of this regular season. And Joe and I are with you tonight for the night off for the Blues before they get set to take on the Vegas Golden Knights for back-to-back games on Friday and Saturday. And Joey V, let's just start there, my man. They're headed out onto this road trip, still with the possibility to clinch a playoff spot and still with the possibility that a team could catch them now I know that's uh, um, it seems like it's an impossibility for like the LA Kings to catch the Blues but there still is that chance that if they go on a little bit of the run and the Blues are struggling that the Kings could catch up with them yeah you know the Kings with five games you know remaining is a possible 10 points up in the air and they're sitting at 48 points so they're sitting basically eight points behind the Blues right now with the possible 10 points that they can acquire. You know, is it likely, Alex? Very, very, very unlikely. I mean, this is almost a a, a given, especially, you know, if you look at the rest of the LA Kings schedule. They got two against Colorado this coming weekend, one more against St. Louis, and then two more against Colorado to finish up the year. So four against Colorado and one against us. To me, it's just extremely unlikely. So I think the Blues are in a wonderful position. You would have liked to have seen it wrapped up last night. It didn't quite work that way for the Blues side and, of course, what happened in Arizona. But now you head to Vegas here today, a good travel day for the boys. They're back-to-back coming up in Vegas, a building that they played very well in um, ever since the Vegas became uh, part of this league. So I think the Blues are feeling high hopes. They put themselves in a wonderful position to uh, make a dent here this weekend and uh, kind of put their gears towards the playoffs. You know, that was such a weird game last night, Joe, uh, against the Anaheim Ducks, and I think Mike Hoffman said it on the postgame show. It's just you got a team that's just playing super loose out there, just throwing the pucks and trying to outskate the opposition. A lot of young guys that are trying to do things rather than a formula or a game plan. And from a player's perspective, it sounds like that can get teams off of their game, which results in the thing that we saw last night in a 2-2-1 going into overtime. Yeah, those are the worst games to play. I know it sounds weird. You're thinking, oh, they're playing the Anaheim Ducks. They only got 41 points in the season compared to the Vegas Golden Knights, who have 76, for example, right? So, uh, oh, boy, they struggle. Uh, they haven't been good all year. They've had goaltending problems. They've had depth problems. Uh, they've been having guys traded away. They have a lot of young guys coming up. They're looking to make an impact. But because of all those reasons, they they become one word, and they become unpredictable. And predictability is such a undervalued characteristic of when you're playing a team and how valuable it is to know a a team can be predictable in the sense that you know what they're going to do you know what their systems are you know when they break out of their their zone they come up the wall or on the four check they send two guys you know like the vegas and the colorado and the minnesotas those predictable teams the blues do very well against but it's kind of those unpredictable teams you know they they've struggled against anaheim this year uh they've had their ups and downs against the la kings even san jose throughout spurs over the last couple seasons when they struggled whenever you get a team like the ducks came to town over the last couple games they got a lot of young players in there. Those young players are trying to do one thing. They're trying to prove a point. They're trying to show the coaching staff and the management that they want a contract, they want an extension, or they they want to be penciled in for a certain spot and come next season. So a lot of guys trying to raise eyebrows. They play with good energy. They play with a high-octane offense. I thought they were moving the puck very well, and they kind of just were hanging around, hanging around, hanging around because the Blues, you kind of get lulled into that style of hockey. So those are those trap games for a reason. It's not just mental. It's physical. It's about the systems. It's about a lot of other details of the game, uh, especially seeing as the Blues are were uh, you know not quite a week away from playoffs, but it's been a long year, so they're just trying to get over that hump, trying to get over that hurdle. But now that that those two games are behind us, uh, to me now you're playing some just really playoff style games. You know, a couple against Vegas, you got you know Colorado left, L.A. Kings left, or if you're not Colorado, Minnesota left. 
uh, Vegas and an LA Kings team. So four out of the next five for sure are going to be ones that uh, St. Louis, it's going to be, it's going to be playoff atmosphere, playoff energy, uh, physical, which I think this Blues team really needs as they kind of unwind and head to that third week of May. Well, and I think that's a benefit for them, don't you think, Joe, for the for, to, to end the season and make sure that you're playing the right way going into the playoffs? I mean, you play the two against Minnesota, and that's two games that Minnesota's going to have something to play for because they are going to have a shot at getting the second-place spot or the first-place spot in their division. And then, of course, you have the Kings game, and the Kings are going to be fighting for a playoff spot unless they're eliminated before they get to that one. But the Vegas one this weekend, I, I mean, that's going to be a possible view of what the first round could be for the St. Louis Blues so four of these five games it's going to benefit the Blues that it's going to be playoff like atmosphere and the other teams are going to be invested in it well exactly right I mean listen the playoff started right now would be St. Louis and Vegas right and that's where we'd be standing so I think you know this weekend would be a really good prequel to what that matchup really can look like which would be uh, an amazingly extremely fun matchup I think I'd love to see these two for the first time in a playoff setting you know uh Yes, the Blues are playing for something still, which is great. But the catch-22 of it is your, your, the opponents you're playing are still playing for something too. So you know you're going to get their best as well. So they're going to be playing really good hockey as they come down the home stretch as well because, listen, Vegas is only four points ahead of Colorado for that number one spot. Uh, Colorado does have one game in hand. So a possible just two points away from catching Vegas if you look at that, if they win that game in hand. And then for Minnesota, what do they have to play for? It's very unlikely they're going to take over the division now just being five points behind Vegas with only, you know, I think four games remaining, but but keep an eye on this. With with Colorado only a point ahead of them in that two-hole, Minnesota, if I'm the Minnesota Wild, if you catch Colorado, you can get that number two seed. You you can actually leapfrog them, and then you can start the playoff series at home. Now, what does that really mean? Uh, with the home crowd in Minnesota, very limited crowd, does the home ice really have an advantage? To me, the only building that's going to have a disadvantage for this division is going to be Colorado simply because of the altitude. A lot of players really struggle when they go to Colorado. They really struggle with if you get caught out there for a long shift. You know, the Avalanche are very used to it. But when you go into that building over there, the ball arena, it's it's no joke. So I think Minnesota will be looking at this thing as, you know what, let's catch Colorado. Let's open up this series at home for the first two before we have to travel out to Denver. So that's, that's where Minnesota is going to be playing for something. Colorado wants to take over that division, and Vegas has got to protect the division. So, yes, the Blues are playing for something. Yes, that's going to help them down in the playoffs. But at the same time, everyone in this division is still fighting for something as well, which which is going to make the last week and a half pretty fun. Do you think it was a, I don't want to say bad situation because, I mean, the Blues still have a chance at a playoff spot regardless, but do you think it was a... Um a missed opportunity for the Blues to be able to keep a couple of guys back in St. Louis on this Vegas upcoming trip? Or do you think it benefits them, Joe, to have them play in these games to make sure that the team is playing the right way going into the playoffs? I think they have to keep building. And this is, you know, you and I and Curve were talking about this in the fourth period a couple of games ago, Alex. You know, and, and I kind of was kind of correcting myself as we were talking more about it. I was thinking more about it. I thought more about it since that, that post-game show, that fourth period, uh, I believe it was on Monday night. Yeah. This coach... He, he's going to get everyone in. If you, if you can play, you're going to play because the Blues are building something really great. And I took a little bit of a step back, I think, with this Anaheim series, but that's to be expected because of the opponent. We already talked about that. But now this is where you got to play some man hockey, and this is where you really got to come together like they did when they went to Minnesota for those three games, like they did when Colorado had that back-to-back a couple weeks ago here at the Enterprise Center. That's the brand of hockey you really have to establish, and you got to be doing it on a very consistent night-in, night-out basis because, as you know, in playoffs, one or two games, you have a little you know, misstep, and boom, you're, you're way behind, and maybe you can't catch up. 
So I think that this coach is going to use everyone that is physically available down the stretch. Now, will Colton Frakeway miss a game or two because he's been dealing with the lingering thing? Maybe. But listen, this isn't going to be, hey, do you want a night off? There's never going to be a conversation like that with this coach. And, and to be honest, I don't think any player on this team would say, yeah, coach, give me the night off. I think it sets a really bad standard. I've seen coaches do it. And the worst thing you can do is do that, kind of take a step backwards, lose a little bit of that chemistry you're trying to build. And all of a sudden, game one of playoffs comes around the corner, Alex, and bam, it'll punch you right in the nose. Well, and I think for benefiting the Blues right now, Joe, I mean, look at some of the players. Like, yeah, it would be great to give Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron a night off, but I don't think you want to give Colton Pareko a night off because he's been looking better and better as the games kind of progress. You know, you can't give guys like Tarasenko and Krug a night off because they're already kind of taking those nights off. You want them back into the lineup. So right now, it feels like the only players that you'd look at and say, man, it'd be nice to get them a night off would be like a Justin Falk or a Ryan O'Reilly or a David Perron. But without those guys, it seems like the Blues aren't pushing the way that they usually do. And look, you still have a possibility to just make sure you're playing the correct way. And I think that's the most important part. Like you want to play as confident as you can be the same way that you were playing in the midst of that four game win streak once you get into the postseason. Well, and that's why I still think that in order to play that right way, you have to know who you're playing with. I mean, chemistry is a real thing yeah. in the sport. You know, for Justin Falk, does he deserve some time off? Absolutely. He hasn't missed a game this year. But at the same time, if Tory Krug, for example, is healthy, and you know that that's going to be your top pair, I don't know. I think he, for Mike Van Ryan, I think you got to keep Falk going. you got to get him and Krug comfortable. you got to get them kind of jiving on the same level. Because if Krug comes back and then Falk goes out, and then what's going to happen? Game one of playoffs, you're going to put them back together, and you're just going to have to cross your fingers. You're just never going to know, right? So I think that, you know, with, with Falk and, you know, the O'Reillys, I, I think there's just still chemistry that still needs to evolve with a lot of these lines. I mean, look look last night, Alex. Craig Berube put Zach Sanford on a line there with Ryan O'Reilly and, and David Perron. I yeah. mean, that, that goes to show you right there that something wasn't gelling with Braden Shen on that wing. He didn't like what he saw. We saw Shen then come back down with Schwartz and Bozak, the Sasky boys. You know, so if, coach, if the coach is still kind of adjusting lines and trying to find chemistry, to me, down this stretch, you got to keep those horses going and you got to keep finding that chemistry because right now, aside from this third line, I think the other three lines are really, uh, they're touchable. I mean, the only untouchable line for me is the third line. And I think the other three still can be kinked, still need to be tweaked a little bit for this coach to feel very satisfactory about where all four lines are at and feeling confident that this group can get it done in the first round. Yeah, 100% agree with you, Joe. It's going to be interesting to see kind of what it looks like on Friday against this Vegas Golden Knights team. And then, of course, you take into the anomaly of what Clem Costin will mean to this team if and when he gets into the lineup. And, of course, he's going through that quarantine period right now coming over from Russia. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's the Boardwalk Hardwood Floor this week in hockey. We'll take a break, and when we come back, get into what everyone in the NHL has been talking about these last couple of days. It's the Tom Wilson. And New York Rangers, Washington Capitol situation. Joe and I will dive into that next here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. We're back in here on a Thursday night. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you this week in hockey presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. And we'll get more into some Blues stuff in just a bit. And of course, the David Backus thing stole the show last night out at Enterprise Center. And I want to play some audio for you from that one. But Joe, let's you and I get into the main topic around the National Hockey League. And we talk touched on this on the fourth period a little bit last night. It's the Tom Wilson and the Washington Capitals New York Rangers saga. There's so many 
pieces to this puzzle right now that we can touch on, but let's just start with the act itself. Tom Wilson, if you haven't heard or haven't seen it, was in a little bit of a scrum after a play with the Washington, or with the New York Rangers, Pavel Buchnevich. He's on the ground. Wilson taking a couple of extra shots to him at the head. Artemi Panarin jumps into the play to defend his player. Tom Wilson basically throws Panarin across the ice. He injures himself. Things get really out of hand. There was no suspension that went with it. From your perspective, Joe, you've seen this a lot in hockey. I mean, you played in the series that was Pittsburgh and Philly, and those two teams hated each other more than anybody hates each other in hockey. What did you make of the Tom Wilson situation, and did you feel like it was suspendable? So it, it's, it's, it's definitely suspendable. The league should have suspended him, but I don't know if the actual – if it's anyone else – I'm saying I don't think it's suspendable. Yeah. And what I mean by that is this. I think that it was a hockey scrum that Artemi Panarin engaged in, jumps on the back of Tom Wilson. Um, Tom Wilson defends himself, obviously, and kind of ragdolls him and throws him to the ice. You know, yes, it hit his, his head hits the ice, but Tom Wilson's not going to be in the middle of a scrum. Someone's going to lose his helmet and say, oh, I shouldn't throw this guy to the ice because he lost his helmet. I mean, you don't think that. If you engage in a scrum, you need to be prepared for the consequences of that scrum. So I think it was a hockey scrum, right? So is the actual play itself suspendable? That to me is kind of a gray area where it doesn't become gray and it kind of becomes black and white for two main reasons. He's a repeat offender. So I think that you have to look at his actions and the history. So for, for that reason, I think it is a suspendable hit then or a suspendable, um, I guess, altercation. Yeah. But the second and the main one, this, this is the main one. It has really nothing to do with Tom Wilson. The main reason why it is suspendable in my eyes, Alex, is because if you suspend him, even just one game, then all that nonsense in last night's game, Rangers versus Capitals, it doesn't have to happen. I mean, look at those penalty minutes. Look at all the guys that had a fight in that game. You know, Linda Cohen said it the best. She said, you know, because the, the league refused to suspend Tom Wilson, he plays in this game. You now have grabbed all kinds of eyes, and, and the attention of this sport and the attention of this game is all being brought apart by the wrong reasons and why you don't want to play the sport and why you don't want to watch the sport. You want to watch the sport for the, for the love of hockey, for the goals, for, for the excitement, for the hits, uh, for the, for the enthusiasm, for the, the expression of the players and the, and the celebrations, right? And the, you know, everything like that. That's why you watch this game. That's why we love it. But to see players like Carl Hagelin have to fight right off the opening drop, you know what I mean? To D Giuseppe having to fight in that game, you know, Smith going after Wilson. I mean, just the guys that had to get engaged in that game and put their kind of like, I guess, careers and risk, health risk at, at stake because yeah. of what happened. It really didn't have much to do with Tom Wilson and the Washington Capitals. It was more to do with, I think, the league and them and George Peros and NHL safety not stepping in and giving a suspension. They, you know, hindsight 2020, Alex, and I don't know why they didn't think about this, but looking back, given everything that the Rangers talked about and made in their statement, look at how that game uh, play was played last night. They they should without question they didn't know this they should have at least given him a one game suspension just to make sure that that you clear the air and you just allow that last night's game just to be a hockey game and, and they didn't go about it that way it's very unfortunate and, and now it's a lot of uh, really bad attention has been drawn not only to the league but to the Rangers now a lot of people are really questioning NHL safety and George Peros what where, where the league stances on this so it's um it was a gutsy move by the Rangers to put out that statement you know Alex as you know. But at the same time, 
uh, you can't fault them because I, I think they really handled it poorly. You know, it's interesting too, Joe, because I saw Carlo Koliakovo, who's a, a radio host in Canada, and he put something out on Twitter after that first period between the Capitals and Rangers, and he put a he just question, and he said, I'm curious how many of you enjoyed what you watched between the Rangers and Capitals in that first period. And a lot of people responded and said, man, that was so exciting. Like, I had to make sure that that game was on. Now, there's two sides to that, though. you got the player side of things where it's like, yeah, these guys are risking their health going out there. And, I mean, I, you know, we've all seen the uh, the Ice Guardians video that Kelly Chase was a part of. You've lived this, Joe. I mean, you were a guy who had to get into scrums in the middle of, of games. But then there's also the fan perspective of it where people are like, oh, man, that was so exciting to watch when you get line brawls off the draw. That, I think, is the part right now where it's like, okay, where is the, where is the black and white on this? in the gray area because fighting has been talked about so for so long in this game but you get the entertainment value that goes with it as well I'm just I'm I'm speaking this because I'm wondering what a guy like Gary Bettman and Donald Fear are sitting there looking at when that's happening but yet when they also see the ratings after a game like that yeah I mean you know two things really jump out I think from an entertainment standpoint you know, you have to love the passion of both teams. Yeah. Because both teams are defending their organization and they're defending their players. Like if you're a Rangers player, if you're oh, a Rangers fan, you loved it. I love it. Yes. I love it because you're defending Artemi Panarin, which is your best player. So to me, that's what makes it exciting and that's for the passion. The actual fights themselves, that that to me is something the league has tried to get rid of. And that's where that double standard really comes in. It's like, okay, George Peros, okay, NHL safety. You want less headshots, right? Uh, which is a it's a gray area in the first place is fighting in general because you want to take away headshots, but you're allow, you're allowing players to have bare bare knuckle fights to each other's faces. So that that's already been the gray area with these head contacts and fighting in hockey. So you already have that. So they've really done a good job as far as taking a lot of hockey, the stage fights away from the game, which is great. But you can't have this double standard where you want less headshots and maybe get fighting away from the game a little bit. You can't you can't have that approach and then go about your business the way you did by not suspending Tom Wilson because you know by not taking action on this course, you have propelled that game to be what it was, an absolute melee of fights and aggression. And the league, um, again, th- there's going to be huge attention brought to this and how this was handled. And I think, Alex, looking back, let's just call it two, three years, four or five years from now, you know, where NHL player safety is, I think we're going to look back on this and I think we're going to say, boy, the NHL and uh, George Peros, NHL player safety, whoever's in charge at that point, this was a this was a tipping point moment. I think a lot was learned in this moment, and I think that a lot has to be learned from this moment moving forward so this just does never happen again. You know, I'm curious on the George Peros perspective of this one, Joe, too, because, you know, I, I don't know – much about kind of what goes into what Peros is doing in terms of the the player of safety in charge of that. Now, I know obviously he's the one that's viewing all of these things. What I mean by that is I don't know how much he has a hand in that, whereas other guys are looking at these videos as well. Do you remember, was, was Shanahan ahead of the, he was. So do you remember a big difference between Shanahan and Peros? Like, was he harder on the suspensions? Or did you feel like at the time when he was in charge, it's like, man, I can't believe he gave him that suspension compared to where people are questioning Peros? No, it wasn't, it wasn't as intense as it is now. And I think for two reasons. 
I think because the rules weren't as tight back then, like right when they started this, like the rules were a little bit looser. We're all trying to figure this out. So they allowed hits to happen like last night. That wouldn't have been a suspendable thing and no one would question it. But, you know, I think it was, I'm trying to think of what hit it was. It really kind of turned in a different direction where it became very sensitive to it. But when Brendan Shanahan took over, there was, it was still hockey. They took the stage fighting away. Uh, there wasn't a lot of questioning. And the second part of this was, there wasn't a lot of question because, again, social media wasn't a big factor yeah. as much back then. I mean, Twitter was just starting to kind of come out. But, you know, as far as uploading videos in a quick way, like right, right and like live time and then for players to watch it, that wasn't really it wasn't really a thing. So, you know, a part of me really feels for George Perils and the whole NHL player safety because everyone sees it in like real time almost now with Twitter and everything kind of involved. So I think that that's what's made this even tougher and like almost like you put 18 – 18 cameras on a player, you're going to find something he does wrong in that game. So I think that that's why, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of fans, a lot of players and, and a lot of media kind of spins this thing out of control. So it's a job that I would not want, but no, Brendan Shanahan was a little bit more calmer about it. And I also think that, you know, Brendan Shanahan for his career, I think kind of people gave him the benefit of the doubt a little bit more too, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I know it, it sounds bad. It sounds bad, but you know, George Peros, you know, he had a great career, but you know, he's a fourth line, he's a fourth line fighter. He grinded yeah. it out. Uh, he's supposed to be an um, amazing guy, like an absolute amazing guy. But I think that, you know, if you look at a guy like Brendan Shanahan with his resume and everything he's done, the cups he's won, yeah. I think people kind of were more quiet about it. At times. That's, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. One more for you, Joe. And I saw this topic brought up as well, and I'm curious your thoughts. Tom Wilson, just as a player, a lot of people look at him in a negative light now because of this and a repeat offender, but he is an incredible player playing in that line with Alex Ovechkin and Backstrom. He's a power forward. He scores goals. And I don't remember who brought it up. Maybe it was in an athletic article but it basically said i guarantee you there are 30 other teams in the national hockey league right now that would put tom wilson on their team right now if the capitals got rid of him easily i mean if we if we had a trade set up where we could bring tom wilson to st louis i i, I promise you one thing there wouldn't be one st louis blues fan that would be upset by this not Agreed. one even you know get this even oscar sunquist would absolutely love this decision and oscar sunquist got cheap shotted by um, tom wilson a couple of years ago in the preseason, and Tom Wilson got a suspension, open ice hit right across yeah. the middle of the ice. I think I think Dimitri Yashkin actually got suspended by him too. So the Blues fans, of all fans, should be ones that with two players that got hit and Tom Wilson got suspended for those hits, you would think that the Blues fans would absolutely want nothing to do with them. But I promise you, there wouldn't be one upset fan. You know, Maybe at first, maybe they'd be mad about it at first. But I promise you, give it, give it a couple games and you will see Tom Wilson in this uniform and you will be like, oh my gosh, uh, the, the ticket sales are the uh, the sales for for, for jerseys yep. would, would be would be through the roof because what do I think of him as a player? I think he's awesome. Like yeah. I, I love what he does aside from when he pushes it over the edge. He he takes it to the edge and sometimes he steps over just a little bit. Do I think some of the open ice uh, headshot hits can get away from the game? I do. Do I think that he takes it over the line once in a while? Yes. But but this is a tough kid. He fights Ryan Reeves. Yeah. You know, he plays physical. He's a power forward that's on the power play. I mean, he he really just does it all. And I, from what I understand, too, just an incredible teammate. He's a guy you look down the bench and you definitely want on your side. And on the flip side, he's a guy on the bench. You look across that glass where you look at your opponent, and you don't want to see him in the lineup any given night. So Tom Wilson, I, I actually think he's a great player. I know probably a lot of people will disagree with me about this. I think he's a, uh, a great player that really intends to play the, the game the right way who's got an amazing amount of, of skill set that um, 
just plays with a lot of passion. Yeah. I guess that's the only way to say it. Yeah, I agree 100% with that too, Joe. And I think he is a fun player to watch despite um, the things that have followed uh, him through his career. Joe, I know you are a busy man this evening, buddy, so we are going to let you go. There are plenty of other stories going on around the NHL that we are going to get to tonight on This Week in Hockey. But appreciate you finding some time and hopping on with us tonight, buddy. Thanks, Alex. Anytime, buddy. Can't wait for this weekend. And, boy, playoffs around the corner. Getting excited. Hey, keep an eye out for those cicadas. I guess there's like 17, yeah. uh, 17-year-old cicadas, like trillions of them are going to be flying around yeah. here pretty well, soon. Get but, your tennis rackets ready. I got two fears in this life, Joe. One is snakes and two are cicadas, and uh, I don't like either of those <laughs> things. So thank you for that. At least you don't have to worry about them but every 17th year. Yeah, that's true. But then, you know, once that 17th year hits, it's like, oh, geez, here we go again. But, you know, maybe in 17 years I'll just uh, start to lose my mind at that point. Who knows? You got it. Joe, I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you so much, man. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's the This Week in Hockey presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. We'll come back with some more next year on your Home for the Blues 101 ESPN. We're back in here on a Thursday night. Alex Ferrario with you. Of course, Joe Vitale was with us in the first half hour. He stepped away had some business to get to tonight, but we're going to continue things with you tonight here on 101 ESPN. And first, I wanted to get into a little bit of things going on around the National Hockey League. We're going to hear from Greg Wyshynski. He joined BK and Ferrario yesterday, and I thought it was a great conversation talking about the Tom Wilson situation and, of course, the Blues finding ways to turn things around. But first, let's go deeper into that Washington Capitals and New York Rangers game, because I think... Uh, there was a lot of excitement around it. I know Joey and I just finished up talking about that, but I wanted to bring you some of the calls from that first period because things got out of hand quick. I mean, you had the opening face-off. In the first five minutes, you had four fights in a penalty box that had six guys in it. So things went crazy, but I thought you'd enjoy hearing that call in those fights from that game, courtesy of the Washington Capitals Radio Network. We got a line brawl right off the hop. Oh, my goodness. Drop but him here is Rooney and down. Haglin off with Blackwell. Di Giuseppe fighting Hathaway. A message being sent perhaps by the Rangers. Sticks and gloves all over the ice. The Rangers have decided to try and fight back. Hathaway landing a big hit on Di Giuseppe. He goes down. Oh, what a start here in New York. Well, this is old school right now. You didn't see this one coming, but you could see right off the draw, Dowd, the referees come in and push the two centermen out, so you knew they were talking, doing something. We'll see what the red day penalties are going to be here, but that's one way if the Rangers want to send a message. I don't know if that's going to cut it or not, John. I mean, the main guy is number 43. Who's going to go after him and send the message? And now we got another fight going here as Daniel Carr and Tom Wilson will engage and get into a fight here with Brendan Smith. So Wilson in his first shift will hook up with Smith who wants no part of this and is trying to get free from it. Wilson trying to get the right loose. It is fight night in New York. 50 seconds into the game with three fighting majors aside already. This now a fourth. Wilson coming over the top and getting a couple of good licks in on Brendan Smith. And the beat goes on here in Gotham. And now we got another fight. Raffle and Potato are going to go here before the puck had even gotten out of the dot. Raffle landing a hit. Potato's in some trouble. Now he's lost his helmet, and the linesmen are coming in to break it up. Our ninth and tenth fighting major here, four minutes and 14 seconds into the game. And now another. Lars Eller and Ryan Strom off the draw are going to go. 
This is unbelievable. Yeah. The Capitals need to get out of this business right now. They're the playoff team, and the Rangers are going to the golf course. They can't be doing this. Lars Eller coming after it with Strom. Lars trying to come across the top and rip his helmet off. The linesmen are going to let it go, and then Strom lands on top. A dozen fighting majors now with 1546 to go in the first period. So once again, four different fights in the first five minutes of that hockey game. A lot going on. It was the opening face-off with the lines going at it. Then Tom Wilson getting into it. Then you had Michael Raffle getting into it and rounding things out with Lars Eller. The Rangers obviously stepping up for themselves. And if you missed it earlier today, the NHL announced that they're fining the New York Rangers $250,000 for their statement that they released because of calling out George Peros and the head of player safety for the National Hockey League. But that wasn't the only storyline from that hockey game. And it's unfortunate that that stole away what took place later in that hockey game. Because as we know here in St. Louis... T.J. Oshie, a fan favorite, along with his dad, Coach Oshie, as he liked to call him. Uh, he was a pivotal part of the growth with the St. Louis Blues organization. His dad loved everything about T.J. Oshie's growth. And earlier this week, he passed away. Um, he was, saw his son win a Stanley Cup a couple of years ago with the Washington Capitals. And T.J. Oshie went out there and had one hell of a performance. So take a listen to what took place from the second period on with T.J. Oshie. Just watching him during the anthem, he's certain right now this is the one for him. And his his father would want him playing this hockey game tonight. There is no doubt about that, and hopefully that carries him through. But we feel for him. Near side, it's his second period underway. The Caps coming in, and they got odd man rush here in a shot. They score! A puck fired by T.J. Oshie. One nothing, Washington. How about that? Oh, his dad would have been proud of that. He is proud of that, no doubt. On the night he returns to the lineup after the death of his father. Carlson more in the Ovechkin role, it would appear here on this power play. Orloff shooting loose in front. Oshie shoots, he scores! He did it again! T.J. Oshie puts the rebound home! It's 2-0 Washington! And T.J. Oshie in his return to the lineup has them both! Carried on at center. I don't think T.J.'s coming off the ice for the last minute 50 here. I hope not. Back in behind the net for Orlov. And for Oshie, coming to center, fires, he scores! T.J. Oshie with the hat trick as Coach Osh looks on from heaven. It's 4-1, to one, and Oshie has finished the hat trick. Oh, my! The embrace from his teammates. They mob around him on the bench. Oh, what a moment for the Capitals and T.J. Oshie. His whole team came over to hug him on the bench. What a moment that is. T.J. Oshie, good for him. And that's just, uh, that's when all the emotions probably hit. He gets his hat trick and, you know, his dad looking down on him, so proud. It's a tough moment. He's fighting it on the bench right now. He's hanging his head. A couple of tears, it appears, in his eyes. He's got a little perspiration. He's got to wipe away. It's his fourth career hat trick. Carl Haglund comes over and gives him a big hug on the bench. You cannot script what we just witnessed tonight.
TJ Oshie gets the hat trick in honor of his father. Unbelievable night for this young guy and uh, his fourth career hat trick in the National Hockey League. And TJ Oshie put together an incredible career once he was traded away from the St. Louis Blues with this Washington Capitals team. But I know a really emotional night for him uh, scoring that hat trick the day after his dad, Coach Oshie, passed away. So that was that Washington Capitals New York Rangers game. And another one I think we got to talk about is what took place and what is taking place with the Edmonton Oilers right now. Now, it's an interesting perspective, and I was talking with Jamie Rivers about that earlier today. Connor McDavid is tearing up the National Hockey League. He's got 93 points on the season, and the Edmonton Oilers have only played a total of... 51 games. So there's still five more games to go as Connor McDavid is chasing 100 points in a 56-game schedule. 93 points, as I mentioned. He's got 31 goals and 62 assists. So definitely an area to be focusing in on moving forward in the National Hockey League as Connor McDavid is closing in on that 100-point season this year. And then you got the playoff situation I wanted to dive into here on This Week in Hockey presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. And we're going to get into the David Backus thing in just a bit but if you go through each division we all know in the honda west division there's still some moving and shaking going on in the top three spots minnesota has a chance to take over the first place position the one thing we know is the blues cannot catch anybody in the top three the blues or the la kings will take over that fourth place spot. The Arizona Coyotes officially eliminated from a playoff opportunity with their loss last night. The Kings would essentially have to win out to take over a playoff position, and the Blues would essentially have to lose the rest of their season. If the Blues pick up two points and L.A. loses tomorrow night, then they'll officially clinch that playoff spot. But you got the Central Division. The top three spots are locked down. There's some moving around, but it's a two-team race for that bottom playoff spot in the Central. The Nashville Predators are holding on to that. They have two more games to play with 60 points, while Dallas has three more games to play. They sit with 56 points. So Chicago, Columbus, Detroit, they're out of it. Fourth place position is Nashville or Dallas, and neither of those teams can catch the top three. You got the East Division, Washington Capitals, Pittsburgh Penguins, Boston Bruins, and New York Islanders. Those are the four teams that are in the playoffs. But what's interesting is the Islanders still have a chance to be number one, as well as the Penguins, as well as the Boston Bruins. There's a lot of moving around, but you know one thing, those four teams will be in the playoffs as the Rangers, the Flyers, the Devils, and the Buffalo Sabres will miss out. And then you got the Canadian Division. Toronto's locked in on that first spot, although Edmonton could catch them. Winnipeg could also catch the second place team they can't catch the Toronto Maple Leafs so the most that they could get is second place but you got the fourth place spot it's held down by the Montreal Canadiens they have four more games to play with 57 points the Calgary Flames sit 10 points behind and they have five games to play so it looks like a long shot but if they win out they could get that bottom playoff spot the Ottawa Senators they don't have a chance to catch up with this right now but the Vancouver Canucks do because we all know of the COVID situation they have They have nine more games to play, and they sit 16 points out of a playoff spot. So looks like it's going to be Montreal for that playoff spot, but Calgary and Vancouver both have a chance to get into the playoffs. 
So finally, as we're kind of jumping around the league with some storylines, we've talked about Oshie, we talked about Connor McDavid, we've looked at the playoffs. Now we got to get into the David Backus situation. An unbelievable night for the former St. Louis Blues captain. 727 games played in the National Hockey League, and Backus had an emotional end to that hockey game as he was named the number one star inside the stadium. His wife and his kids put a video out there with the Blue Note production that played on the Jumbo he was able to shake hands with his entire team for the St. Louis Blues at the end of the game on center ice. And then he had this emotional conversation with Darren Pang after the game on Bally Sports Midwest. Take a listen. I can't imagine the emotion that you're feeling right now, David. No, you can't. Uh, such a special place, but a special place to play, special place to live and uh, to play what's probably my last game in this building uh, in front of these fans in this city is it's the way I would have written it if I could have written it and uh, got to live it. Very blessed and very appreciative. Well, you can tell the fans feel the same way, David. Thank you. 965 NHL games coming from Minnesota and playing high school hockey and college hockey. Could you have ever imagined after being a second round pick? Still feels like a dream. It's uh, out of this world. Just so fortunate, so blessed. So many people on the way that have just poured into me, helped me along the way from Walt letting me live at his house to start and teaching me the ropes to, you know, my wife and my kids and my parents that are here tonight drove down from Minnesota. So, um, you know, coaches, teammates, guys on the other team, you know, that was over over and above what I expected. And, uh, you know, really heartfelt and I'll remember this forever. Well, if you're emotional now, I'd like you to look at the Jumbotron. <laughs> I'm sorry to do this, David, but uh, your beautiful wife, Kelly, and your kids, Stella and Dawson, have oh, a boy. message for you. Hi, my love. Hi, Daddy. Babe, we've been your number one fans and supporters over the last 15 years, and my goodness, what an amazing journey it has been. Just being able to watch you play a game that you love and use your gifts and your professional platform for good has been such a blessing. Um, the St. Louis community and organization and fans, thank you for allowing us to call this city our home. We love you, David. Say love you, Daddy. Love Daddy. <laughs> I appreciate my little man being such a wild animal. He takes after mom, obviously, but, uh, man, thank you to everyone. This is, uh, this is too much. Uh, oh. David, your parents, I know they're here, Steve and Karen, but the other day you mentioned to us broadcasters that they always stress, start something, you have to finish it. Yep. Have you done it, pal? <laughs> I think so. Uh, it's been a it's been a great ride, an amazing ride, and uh, just so blessed to have played this game for 15 years. So, thanks to everyone that's been a part of it, cheered me on, booed me, whatever you had to do to get in the seats. Uh, I appreciate everyone. David, thank you so much for doing this. You've always been a class act. I know I represent everybody on hey, the Brett. TV side and everybody in the organization. And uh, welcome to the Blues alumni, the <laughs> NHL alumni, whenever you make that official decision. Okay, pal? I appreciate that. Looking forward to those skates. I think uh, I might be a couple years maybe still. <laughs> 
David, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Congratulations. Brother. Appreciate you. Really cool moment, and uh, I thought that was the perfect way for David Backus to go out if that is his final game played in the National Hockey League. So let's take our final break here on the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors this week in hockey, and when we come back, Greg Wyshynski, ESPN senior NHL writer. He joined us yesterday on BK and Ferrario to talk about the Tom Wilson situation and also to talk about this Blues turning things around for the playoffs. So we'll get into that next here as we wrap things up on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Final time here tonight, this week in hockey, presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. A little bit of a different show for you this evening. Of course, Joe Vitale joined us in the first half hour talking about the Blues, talking about the Tom Wilson situation. We played you some news and notes from around the National Hockey League, but now I want to bring you an interview that BK and I had with Greg Wyshynski. Uh, this was yesterday, the NHL senior writer for ESPN. He joined us to talk about the Tom Wilson situation, but also got into the Blues and their playoff opportunity and the way that they've turned things around. So take a listen, Greg Wyshynski of ESPN. My take on it, my take on it, on it is this: I don't think it's a suspendable offense because I think because it's Tom Wilson it doesn't mean it needs to be a suspension. Because if it is a suspension, I don't think you can just say, "Well, it's Tom Wilson." It means that you think the act that was done rises to the level of a suspension. So when it's not Tom Wilson, when it's Chris Kreider, when it's you know David Perron, like when when it's somebody else involved in an incident like that, you're going to have a very hard time saying, well, this was a special case because he's really bad. Um, the other thing, too, is that we, you mentioned the $5,000 fine, and it's become a, a joke amongst hockey fans that hmm. it's the maximum allowed under the CBA. You know, these guys carry around $5,000 in their change you know, drawer in their car. Like, it's not a big deal to them. And, it, and the reason it's five grand is because it's collectively bargained between the NHL and the NHLPA that that's the cap on fines. And so if the NHL sees an incident like this and says, all right, maybe it's not a suspension, but we do want to penalize the guy, all they can do is five grand. And, and, and I think it's contingent on the Players Association to remove the caps on those fines and give the NHL other recourse for types of plays like this, where the message gets across, like Tom Wilson loses 500 grand. It's a pretty good message, you know, even if it's not a suspended game. Um, So I I feel like there needs to be a bit more uh, players are fond of saying, let us police the game. Let us police ourselves. Well, great. Well then give the NHL more ways in which they can penalize the repeat offenders because right now, A, they can't find them in a major way. And B, if they do give Tom Wilson 30 games, the NHLPA has the ability to appeal the suspension like they did on Wilson's 20-game one and knock it down uh, through arbitration. So, uh, you know, I I think people looked at this and said NHL should do X, Y, Z, not understanding how difficult it is based in the current system. Greg, I would be interested in your thoughts on Peros as the you know head of safety for the NHL because we've seen a couple of different incidents this season that have been tied to the Blues. The hit from Mark Stone on Tyler Bozak that gave him a concussion and he was out for a long period of time. No suspension there. And then earlier in the season, if people remember correctly, it was Sammy Blay that got suspended against the Colorado Avalanche and then basically the same play that happened to Bortuzzo didn't happen. And there's plenty of other NHL examples that I can come up with, but from your perspective how has Peros done at this job so far well you know I, I feel like you know I've been covering the player safety uh, department for a very long time going back to when Brendan Shanahan found it and, and, I, and I feel like 
you know, the suspensions were pretty lengthy when it first started. And, and maybe there was backlash from the teams or from the Players Association, wherever it was coming from. I feel like what should be maybe a, a four or five gamer is a two gamer these days. And, and I do agree with people that say that the, the suspensions aren't necessarily as emphatic as they should be. Um, so the criticism of Peros is fine. I, I do find it interesting, though, that like um, a major criticism of him is that he used to be an enforcer in the league. And uh, a lot of people say, hey, you know, maybe turn player safety over not to the people that perpetrated the acts, but to the, the, the victims. You know, yeah. give, give the keys to a, a Paul Correa, for example, uh, to help try to legislate this stuff. I think that's a fair comment, but I do think that whether it was Brendan Shanahan or, or, or George Peros or some of the other people that have, uh, Chris Pronger was there for a while, that have been in that, in that job or around that job, I do think it's important to have kind of like, it's like hiring a thief to work on your security system. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> these are the guys that did the stuff. They know what the dirty tricks are. They understand the, the nuances of, of, of these violent acts. And I do think that that's an important thing to have in there to kind of differentiate sometimes between the stuff that's really, really bad and the stuff that may just be happening in the course of a hockey game. Greg Wyshynski is our guest. You can find his work over at ESPN.com. You can also give him a follow on Twitter at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. All right, Greg, I did want to also get your thoughts on the Blues because uh, I'll go ahead and give you kind of where I've been out on this team. I've been the guy that's been hesitant over the last month to buy into anything that I've seen on the ice because we had seen it before and it was like a three-game spurt and then it went back to what it was previously. I think I'm kind of in now on at least them being a playoff team, and it took me a while to get here. What's been your perspective over the last month or so, I guess now, of what's been a pretty impressive comeback for the Blues? Yeah, I mean, you look at their last uh, like half dozen games, and it's the offensive uptick that you really like. Um, you know, they're, they're playing. I think they're playing much better offensively than they had um, for a good stretch of the season. So that's a good thing entering the playoffs. And, you know, solidifying themselves as a playoff team, I think that's partially the, the Blues putting together a nice little string of, of, uh, of an undefeated streak recently, but also just <laughs> the, the inevitable collapse of the competition for that fourth spot. I mean, when we came into the season, uh, you, you, you were hard-pressed to find anybody that didn't think it wasn't going to be Vegas, Colorado, Minnesota, and St. Louis in the playoffs. And, and that, of course, is how it's going to end up because, you know, Arizona didn't have the, the horses and, the Sharks were bad and the Kings weren't all that good either. So it's kind of worked out the way that we thought it would. And it's going to be interesting. I mean, it, it is looking like increasingly it's going to be a Vegas-St. Louis first-round matchup, which for obvious storyline reasons is incredible <laughs> with the Petrangelo thing happening. Um, but it's also going to be a real black and blue series that, that may end up kind of favoring the Blues in the sense of what kind of hockey will be played in that series and, and what I think St. Louis excels at. Greg, you talked about the offense, and I'm curious on the two guys that a lot of people have been talking about as of late, and that's Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. I mean, they have created this dynamic trio with Mike Hoffman of another funny portion of where a man who was thought to be traded away, and now he's <laughs> been an offensive weapon for the Blues. But watching Thomas and Cairo, are, are those kind of difference makers for you if the Blues do get into the playoffs? Oh, sure. I mean, Thomas, I mean, has been tracking that way for, for a couple of years now, and I think he, he certainly actualized 
this year, and Kyrie has been a spark plug, uh, you know, throughout the season for them. The, the Hoffman thing's funny. I mean, like, obviously, he's, he's, he's gotten a little bit cold lately, but but had a good stretch of maybe like seven or eight games where he was putting points on, uh, you know, points on the, on, on the score sheet. And it just goes to show that, you know, we all sat there and we're like, all right, what's Doug Armstrong going to do at the trade deadline? You know, is this team really – uh, good enough to be a difference maker in the playoffs? Shouldn't he be trying to, you know, be an aggressive seller like he was in the past with Stasny and, and Shattenkirk and players like that? They hang on to Hoffman, and, and then they find something that kind of works with him. So, you know, it's 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 one of those moments where uh, they really could have changed the trajectory of the season, and maybe they did a good thing in, in hanging on to him at the trade deadline instead. One more from me, Greg, and it's a player whose name won't be in the in the award conversations, but he's definitely turned it around, and that's Jordan Bennington. At the beginning of the year, this guy, it felt like he couldn't buy a victory for the Blues in the midst of those losing streaks, and then now, I think in his last six or seven games, he's 6-0-1. So Jordan Bennington seems to have turned things around. What's your view on him? Yeah, 6 one and, and feisty, too. I mean, yeah. We all like a feisty Jordan Bennington. Uh, he's our favorite Jordan Bennington. Uh, you know, he, he's one of the players that I am absolutely fascinated by with regard to the playoffs. I mean, we, uh, we all saw what happened last year. Um, for whatever reason, uh, he, he imploded. I mean, he was bad. He was the reason they were losing games last year, which is a jarring thing to see when we remember Jordan Bennington as, I mean, for my money, the reason they won the Cup. Uh, so I'm really interested to see which version of him we get in the postseason because they're going to need him. I mean, I, I, I think any any uh, series against Vegas will be competitive. Um, it'll be brutal. It'll be physical. It'll be you know, tightly played games. Um, but they're going to need him to steal a couple things because Vegas definitely has the ability to really turn on their offense when they're healthy. And uh, if he's up to the task, I mean, it's not a realm of possibility they could pull the upset, but if he's anywhere near what he was last season, I mean, oof, uh, it could be a short one against Vegas. And that is going to close things out for us tonight here on 101 ESPN on the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors this week in hockey. We will be back with you tomorrow night, Blues and Golden Knights. It's a late one, 9 o'clock puck drop, 8 o'clock pregame show here on 101 ESPN. Big thank you to Joey V. Big thank you to Mike Ryder. And once again, I'm Alex Ferrario. Have a great night, and we'll talk to you tomorrow, Blues and Golden Knights, right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN.